You know, I also have killed a lion. How many shots did you need? I used my hands. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Does It Hold Up? I'm Adam. I'm Emily. And this is the podcast where we discuss older movies to see if they still hold up to today's standards. Today, we're going to be talking about one sexy man fighting a lion. No, not the new Idris Elba movie, even though that looks really good. We're actually going back to 1996 to watch a different sexy man fight a lion, and that's Val Kilmer in The Ghost and the Darkness. So this is a true story, and I put true very loosely in this statement. It's based on a true story. It's a true story about a man who was helping to build a bridge in Savo, Africa, and two lions were killing all of the workers and eating them back when they were trying to build this railroad and bridge. Seemingly for fun. Seemingly for fun. But there's a couple theories out there. We're going to get to those later in the podcast. Um, but this is one of those underseen movies when it came out. It didn't do that well at the box office. It ended up only making about $38 million on about a $50 million budget. So it didn't make money. It's something that people forgot about, which is insane to me, because it won an Oscar. Did it really? For sound editing, but it's still listed as an Oscar-winning movie. And it's got one of the biggest stars of the 90s in Val Kilmer, another huge star of the 80s and 90s in Michael Douglas. It's got a great supporting cast. It's based on a true story. Like, it has everything you want in a movie, and yet for some reason people still didn't watch it. Which is really sad. It it is. It was a lot better than I imagined it to be. This was my first time ever watching this movie. I mean, it's your first time watching a lot of movies. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. Not my first time, as you guys probably know from every other episode that you've listened to. I introduce her to the movies, we watch them, you get her initial reaction to it, and my follow-up reaction to it. But let's go ahead and get into this movie. Val Kilmer plays Patterson. Yes. Who is actually the real person in this story, and he wrote a book that then was turned into this movie all about his experience with these these lions. That's where we get a little bit tricky. Why you have to put the word true in quotation marks for this one? Because it's the hero's story written by the hero himself. So how much of it became fabricated in his book to sell more copies and get more money versus what actually happened. So the facts that we do know are there were actually two lions because if you follow us on TikTok at does it hold up underscore in between each word, you would have heard a fun fact earlier this week that the two lions are on display at the Field Museum in Chicago, Illinois and have been for almost a hundred years now. So we know they actually existed. We know they actually ate lots of men. Some people have the count as high as like 150 people. That's a lot of people for lions who don't normally go after human flesh. That's not their choice meal. No. So we know a lot of the facts are real, but then the movie expands upon that and even adds people like Michael Douglas's character of Remington doesn't exist in real life. Yeah, I mean, most of these kind of um, real story dramas tend to fabricate things just to make it a little bit more cinematic because a lot of real life isn't cinematic. No, I mean, he, he showed up, he helped build a bridge. I mean, he wasn't a bridge builder. He wasn't even a railroad builder or anything. He was hired just to oversee the project and he went there, lions were killing people, He actually is the one who killed both lions in in real life, and that's it. Then they built the bridge, and everybody moved on. But in the movie, you know, you gotta make it real cinematic. You gotta add all this drama. (laughs) This person dies, and this person. Like, one of the characters in the movie, Angus, who 
Patterson meets getting off the train, and it's like he's going to be his helper. He's going to be a second-hand man. He knows all the plans for the bridge and railroad. He, that's That person's real, in a sense, but it was like a 12-year-old boy, <laughs> not a full-grown man, and the 12-year-old boy didn't die, and he wasn't really the assistant to Patterson. He was just the gun carrier. He literally just carried his guns around so that if Patterson needed it because of a lion attack, it was right there. I was going to say, it kind of sounds like a caddy. Yeah, pretty much. He was a, gu- <laughs> he was a gun caddy. He was a gun caddy. Um, just really interesting. So, like, these little things. And I feel like maybe the original story might have been really interesting to, to watch. Single man faces two lions with a child sidekick. That's a superhero movie if I've ever heard one. Literally Captain America. And Batman. <laughs> I mean, it, it exists. So it might have been interesting, but take the true part of this movie with a grain of salt. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to get that out of the way fast because a lot of people always tote this as like, oh my God, you know this story of the... If you watch the movie, you know 30% of the actual story. <laughs> so give me your give me your opinions. Give me your just initial thoughts on, on the movie overall. This movie was way better than it had any right to be. I honestly went into this movie thinking it was going to be just a ton of animatronic lions and people hamming it up being like, oh no, I'm being taken away by a lion. And it, it was a lot better than that. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's exactly where my mind went when you first brought up this movie to me. And it could have been. It, it absolutely could have been a very cheesy... B-rated movie schlock. That oh, so easy. Exa- especially when you look at the numbers and people like, it's never gotten a remaster. People didn't see it when it came out, so people don't care about it now. But it's actually got a really huge underground cult following. Like massive amounts of people tout this movie now. I don't know why it's never gotten a re-release in more mainstream coverage. But it's you know pretty good Val Kilmer movie who was a major star at the time. And it's funny that you bring up animatronic lions because that can introduce us to our first fun fact of the episode. There was only one scene in the entire movie that used animatronic lions. Really? And I know you're going to be like, well, the other ones where they were all like poor CGI. If you watch the movie, you can tell. It's not poor CGI. Those lions are look really good because they're actual lions. The film, the director and the producers, Michael Douglas, one of the producers went and got real lions, circus performers, kids performers, the the lion that, you know, MGM recorded to do mm-hmm. roars and stuff for their, like, trained lions to be on set and perform all these things. There's a wonderful, there's a couple videos you can find on YouTube of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff uh, from this movie to show the real lions, but one of the scenes where the lion jumps off the roof at Val Kilmer and Angus and... Oh, I can't think of the other character's name. Samuel. Samuel. They have stunt performers there, obviously. They're not going to put Val Kilmer in danger. (laughs) But the lion actually jumps off the roof as they're diving out of the way. And then he just trouts off the screen and to his trainer into his holding area. But, like, that makes the movie so much better. That realism, that grittiness of having an actual lion on set that could snap and kill you at any minute. Oh, honestly... You can tell. And like I said, I I thought it was going to be just a crap ton of animatronics. And to have that realism definitely helps it hold up in that aspect. Because the bane of holding up... It's for for, older movies. For older movies is trying to use uh, CGI and animatronics, certain ones. Because you can always tell. Oh, absolutely. You can definitely tell. I mean, they just never move right. Yeah, if you if you listen to our Jurassic Park episode, which, you know, quick plug, we have a Jurassic Park episode. It was episode three for us, episode two or three. Go back and listen to it if you haven't yet. But that was one of the things we harped on a lot in that episode was the CGI. I know it's 1993, so it was early stages of it, but it's bad. Yeah, and it's highly noticeable. It's like, it pulls you out of the movie in those moments, so... If you have bad CGI or bad animatronics, it doesn't matter how good the rest of your movie is. It's going to falter in moments, and it could be really high-tension moments that you want to, like, land hard with the audiences, and you just look and go, oh, God, that's such a fake lion. 
Especially when the lion is such a huge aspect of this movie. I mean, it's literally your villain. Yeah, huge. I mean, there is no, like, person villain. I mean, there's some bad guys, like the guy who hires Patterson to go watch over the bridge building and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, he's just a... He's just a greedy money guy yeah. who wants stuff done, but he's not the villain. The lions are the villains, so if you make them bad, the whole movie is garbage it from It becomes laughable, almost. Absolutely. So it's really nice that they used actual actual lions so beyond the fact that these lions are real what did you think about the idea of them killing humans and, and how did that come across for you that that whole concept of crazy lions killing people and their use of them because they didn't use a lot of lions in the movie it's you know it's one of those movies that uses the jaws effect yeah showing less is more and they don't use the lions a lot so how did you feel they used them did they use them well i thought they were used fairly well i really enjoyed the fact that the idea of less is more in this movie where they didn't have to show every single lion attack it almost made them scarier that you never like barely got full uh, scenes with the lion you normally only got like a bit of their face or uh, th their legs, their feet, something like that. So showing just a little bit of them almost made it more as if they were ghosts, you know, and the darkness. You know? Ghosts and the darkness. <laughs> so I, I agree with you. I think they used the lions really well. Could I have used a little more lion? Sure. But at the same time, I could have used less lion in certain moments. There's moments where it's just like, ah, the lion is too much. The, it, it, I don't need to see it. Show me the whole... Ooh, I saw the, the tail in the grass, and then something happens. I know. I don't need to see the lion actually attacking the guy at that point. But with that said, you know, we get an hour and 50-minute movie here, and the lions are on screen for less than 10 minutes. My problem with how much they're on screen is more to do with the editing. It used a lot of quick cuts and extreme close-ups to hide you know, where they're placing lions in, where there isn't actually a lion in the scene, just that kind of movie magic. But it made it so hard to follow sometimes. And I get that's kind of what they were going for with that whole, you don't actually know what's happening. It's chaos. They're attacking. But it was just, it was a little frustrating to me being like, I just, I don't know what's happening. Just stop. I mean, the lions were in a Marvel fight scene. Seriously. It was just such quick cuts and close-ups that you were like, I honestly can't tell if the lion's coming or going or if they're eating a pillow or a person. I'm yeah. not 100% sure exactly what's happening in these scenes, but they had to because that's the way you get around having real lions on set interacting with people. You kind of just got to get what you can get and cut around it to make it work. But then do you just show less of the lion? And get those kind of money shots and be like, oh, here's the aftermath of the rest of it. I, yeah, but isn't the, is, aren't the lions the attraction? Don't you want to go see a movie about the lion? Yeah, and but, if you don't have lion in it, then what's the point of the movie? <laughs> You'll still have lion in it, but like the Jaws effect, sometimes just the threat of them can be enough. Like, I felt more pressure almost not seeing the lion for so long, being like, oh my God, someone else was taken and we didn't see it because, you know. No, I get what you're saying. You know, less, less is definitely more. But at the same time, Jaws was all about that tension. An unknown predator coming to get you. Do you go in the water? Do you stay on the boat? What do you do? Where compared to the ghost in the darkness, the lions are 100% the threat, and it's the visuals that make them a threat. Seeing them attack people. If people just went missing in the night, it's going to be a ghost story. You're, it's going to be like, oh yeah, the lions took them. We don't know if the lions actually took them, so I think we need to see them. But, and it worked. It worked for me. But I think they kind of felt rushed here where it was just like put lions in whatever whatever it looks like just put them in cut around it try to make it work yeah let's talk about the actors next so Val Kilmer plays Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson we're just gonna refer to him as Patterson because I'm not saying that name over no. and over and over again but what did you think of him so 
I know something you brought up while watching the movie was just like, is he Irish? Well, they make a whole point in the beginning of the film to say that this is a proud Irishman, and then his accent is so inconsistent. Sometimes you can hear it, sometimes you can't. And it was just so frustrating, because it's like, if you get this actor who cannot do the accent full time, just leave out the line of him being a proud Irishman. Let us figure it out. I, I agree. He definitely had moments where you're like, oh, that's, he's Irish, or what his version of Irish is. Yes. <laughs> and then there's moments where you're just, why? Oh, that's just Val Kilmer. Oh, cool. That's that Southern California guy that's over here killing lions. Got it. So, yeah, he was inconsistent other than his accent, though. He was great. I thought he portrayed it very well. He, I saw a lot of the uh, underlying emotions going through him of having to have this control and losing that control and that faith in people, or people's faith in him, and how he was unraveling with that. <laughs> yeah, he definitely portrayed emotion really well, where you could see it in subtleties. There's a wonderful moment early on in the film where... Val Kilmer's character kills a lion, and everybody's celebrating about, like, ooh, he got the lion, yay, he saved us, and they're all going back to work. And he has this conversation with his foreman of the project, and it's all about how he killed a lion in one shot. And his foreman's like, yes, I've killed a lion before, too. You know, you guys would have heard this quote at the beginning of the episode, I've killed this lion, too. And Angus asks, well, how many shots did it take? And he says, I killed it with my bare hands. And Val Kilmer's actually in the background when we cut back to Angus to get reaction. And there's this little smirk on his face of like, oh, you one up to me. All right, I see you. Yeah. <laughs> but he loves it at the same time. Like, he's proud of what he did, but he's also proud of what his foreman did in another time. And it just comes across so well that even though he's blurry, because, again, it's never gotten a remaster, so you're going to watch an old version of this movie. It's on stars right now. Yeah. Not great quality, but good enough. And even though he's in the background and he's slightly blurry, he still commands that screen in the moment because of those little reactions that he gives. And he gives them throughout the entire thing, especially the way he delivers his lines. He really plays this character of... He's so unsure of himself, but he has to get this project done, so he'll do whatever it takes. I was going to say, it's a bit of unsure, but also putting on an airs of confidence to keep people invested in him and uh, having confidence in his ability to lead and keep people safe. Right, he's supposed to be the leader of them, and so he doesn't know what he's doing, but he has to put out a false confidence that he does know what he's doing. And Kilmer plays that balance really well. There's this wonderful moment, again, with him and Angus, and they're sitting in the tree before he kills the first lion. And Angus is like, oh, is this the way we kill a lion up here in a tree like this? And Patterson just goes, I don't know. I've never even seen one. Yeah. Like, he's never even seen a lion, but he's acting like he's just immediately gonna go out and boom dead i'm gonna kill everything save the day because he needs to and kilmer plays that uneasiness of i said one thing can i live up to it now so perfectly oh yeah especially when remington shows up when michael douglas's remington shows up and he is the boisterous outgoing i'll kill anything with a with my gun and i'm the best and we gotta watch patterson become really forceful and become the hero even though he's being completely overshadowed. Which is a really interesting theme that goes throughout the film of that person who has to exude confidence to have other people be believe in them, but in the inside they are not confident. And we do get that from Remington as well later on in the film where he's like, I don't even like killing. Yeah, he. I'm just good at it. Like, that whole idea of he has to put on airs to to have people stay believing in him. Yeah. It, same with, you know, going back to Patterson, too. Same idea, even without the Lions. He, to get the job building this railroad and this bridge, he straight says, I've never not finished on time, and my wife's pregnant and going to give birth, and I told her I'd be there, so you know you can trust me to go over there and get it done immediately. 
And that's, again, that, that confidence, that air that you have to put forward for people to believe in you, whether you believe in yourself or not. So he does it throughout the whole movie. Then Remington comes in and does it. Angus even does it of just like, oh, I've been here for so long. And he seems so confident when you first meet him. And then you see that he's afraid, that he's unsure of what's happening around him. Mm -hmm. Samuel does it. Like, Abdullah does it. All these side characters also have that idea of, you know, the one guy, the Abdullah, saying, I've killed a, ty a lion with my own hands. And then... Uh, what, a couple minutes later into the movie, he's the one taken. He's the first one we really get seen taken and killed by these lions. Yeah. So it's like he had this confidence, but did he really believe in it? Or was it just, oh yeah, I can do it, but I don't want to. And then he can't. So it is a great recurring theme happening throughout is that portrayal of confidence. Portrayal of confidence with a vulnerability underneath. Correct. Speaking of other characters, Remington, played by Michael Douglas, who is also one of the producers. He was actually never meant to play Remington, but last minute he said, you know what I'm going to be in the movie? And took the role. I mean, he uh, was great in it. That's a, that's, a <laughs> that's a power move if I've ever heard one of, oh yeah, I'm just supposed to produce this movie. Uh, about a week out from filming. You know what? I'm just going to play this role. It's fine. Whatever. It's only semi-main character, you know? Yeah. Who got top billing. <laughs> you know, he got top billing, but he doesn't show up for 45 minutes of this hour and 45 minute movie. Yeah. He's not in half the movie and he still gets top billing. Because he's a producer. Power move. <laughs> That's good on you, Michael Douglas, for that. Good on you. But he but, still plays it very well with those same kind of nuances that Val Kilmer put into his performance. He does. The, the major difference is he's much more showy with it. Where Patterson is very reserved of like, can you kill a lion? Yes. Yes, I can. And then they look at Remington and can you kill a lion? Of course I can kill a lion. I'll kill anything that moves if I have to. He puts out this, this bigger, stronger personality, but he almost is more vulnerable yeah. than even Patterson is because he doesn't want to do it. He just knows he can do it. Yeah. I had that thought as well, where it was like a person who shows more and more confidence tends to be more and more vulnerable on the inside. And that was a nice little nod towards that idea in the, in the film when it came to. Oh Remington. yeah. It's so well portrayed. So, one of the things I also loved about the movie was just the cinematography. The director of photography absolutely crushed this film. It is a gorgeous film that really so gives you location and lets you know the environment that you're in with these beautiful, sweeping landscape shots. But also, they're sinister. You're like, oh my god, look how pretty this whole scene is. And then, oh my god, what was that? Was that a lion tail back there? Was that movement in the grass? Was that just the wind? But you get lost. And I feel like that's a portrayal of being there, of being Patterson or Angus or somebody who doesn't live there on a normal basis, looking out and seeing this beauty and this wonder and everything looks so peaceful and serene. But hidden under all of that can be some real danger. And man, does the cinema cinematography use that to its advantage. I mean, that's in everything you ever see about Africa is how beautiful it is and they show that especially with the coloring a lot of times they show it at that dusk range yeah, it's a nice like orange hue over orange this whole red. movie until mm -hmm. you get to the middle of the night and then they give you a nice blue tint because of the moon yes and it is just gorgeous to look at because Africa is very beautiful but it also is very sinister because you have all those kind of predators that can go after you like these lions. So it was a great portrayal of, I believe, Africa, you know, never having been there, but from everything I've seen in the media. <laughs> so all in all, great use of color, great use of making a beautiful space being very sinister. And these sweeping shots and even these quick cuts of the lions and stuff, you can still tell they're really set up well to get the most fear out of you. They ruin it with the very quick cuts and the very fast-paced movement, but you could tell the camera angles and everything were meant to put you in what the action and let you get that own sense of fear, almost as if the lion is 
is coming at you. You're one of the victims. You're one of the people there mm-hmm. dealing with this. So just great overall with the cinematography. Beyond cinematography, I honestly thought the music was almost... It was visceral. Visceral. So much so. I, during certain parts of it, I was just like, oh my god, there's a lion coming after me. Like, I feel amped but up. But then like, there I'm, wasn't. Yeah. The music played with you so much and, and played your emotions where it was like, building this tension yeah, i was you getting amped feel it and you're like yeah something's coming something's coming something's coming oh a bird flew out of a tree and then it brings you back down a little bit and then it would hit you oh yeah it played with you but that was that whole idea of you never know when these lions are going to attack because they attack in the day they attack at night they do not care they just attack to attack and that's what the music does to you it keeps you on edge the whole time so that you don't know because there's sometimes that the lions are about to attack and we have a very peaceful melody playing. Yeah. And then when the lion actually attacks, the music hits really hard. But there's no sense that the lion's actually coming. And then there's other times where the music is really building up attention, really building up oh, I thought she was gonna that a lion is probably coming. And then it just goes to peaceful music because nothing happens. It really plays with you a lot. And I appreciate that. It adds to the tension so much. Without distracting from the action. Exactly. It does exactly what music's supposed to do, which is amplify your experience, not override your experience. Another aspect of this film that I wanted to discuss is I think the movie had really good pacing. We get narration at the beginning of just being like, hey, this is a true story. Everything you're about to hear is real, which no, it's not. But that's fine. We get this narration. We immediately jump into Patterson getting hired to go to Africa to do all this stuff. We get there, and he hears about the lion pretty quick. Well, he initially hears about the lion quick. Yes. You know, it's one lion. It's killing people. Everything, you know. And we got to jump right into the action. And then we kind of bring the pace back a little bit because he kills a lion. And everybody's like, joyful, yay. Everything seems okay. And then we build again. We build again. And then a lion attack. And you're like, oh my god, there's an, there's another lion. Oh my god, he didn't get the actual lion. And we're, we go for a little bit thinking, just real quick thinking, it's just one lion. And then we get to reveal there's a second lion. That there's two lions that are murdering all these people. And that's why it's so crazy. And it just holds you so well, the pacing of this film. I agree. I actually felt the pacing was wonderful. It kept me invested the entire time to where I was just like, okay, what are they trying next? What are they trying next? Because I thought it was wonderful that they had to try many different ways to try and capture and kill these lions, which added to their mystique and their power over these humans was they just couldn't get past them. They were being outsmarted by these two lions. And the pacing just kept that going throughout the movie. So it would be like, a lion attack, we're coming up with a new problem. Ah, the lions outsmarted us. Lion attack, coming up with a new solution. It didn't stay like 100% like that. It wasn't formulaic, but it was that idea of it kept you. It built you up, brought you down, built you up, brought you down. Without it being like a yo-yo, it was like a really pleasant roller coaster ride where yes. you're building and you know that drop's coming, and then you're building again, you see another drop, and then they'll give you a twist, a little loop-de-loop, and it just kept you engaged the whole time. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I really enjoyed the pacing of this film. On to fun fact number three. They were male lions in the movie, and they were actually male lions in real life, but if you ever see them, they are very similar that brings me to fun fact number three where in the movie they're portrayed as big huge bulking male lions and they are male lions in real life really the two lions you can see the field museum are male lions but for many years people believe that they might be female lions because they're maneless they don't have the mane that you associate with male lions And they're a little smaller than normal male lions. So they were believed to maybe be female, but they are in fact male. Just unique looking male lions. 
Now, the size might actually be because Patterson, after killing both of them, skinned them and used their skins as rugs in his house. So a lot of walking on them compressed the flesh, compressed the fur. So when you build them back up as a stuffed animal, they're going to look a little smaller than they actually were. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah, I always... I've never seen a maneless male lion before. Yeah, I was going to say, I've always seen thought of them as female lions because of how they look. So, one of the things that this movie does really well is they try to explain why the lions could be doing this without ever telling you, here's the reason why. Because we don't know why the lions could be doing this. One of the most popular theories outside of the film, obviously, is that there was a disease running rampant in that part of Africa during the time known as rinderpest disease. And it affects cattle and buffalo and things of that nature, gives them fevers, makes their blood run hot, kills them at some point. So that's mostly what the lion's prey would have been. Therefore, they couldn't attack and find them, so they had to find another food source, which, what was the second biggest food source there? The humans working on the railway. But just that's weird, too, because lions don't eat people. You know, like, there's not... If if it's a lion attack, it's usually because it's defensive or provoked or something. They don't just go out of their way to find humans to eat. Another theory is... The lions had, when they examined them, they had some tooth decay. Their teeth were really rotten and bad. And maybe that's because they ate some diseased animals. And were actually a lot easier to eat than a cow and cattle and stuff like that. Bulls. Yeah. So maybe our soft flesh was easier to eat. Almost like when you have a toothache and you got to eat just ice cream or just soup. We were lion soup at that point. It was easier to take down. What do you think about... Why? Do you, what did you get from the movie and from what I just said? What do you get as to why maybe these lions were attacking humans? I mean, yours kind of makes more sense than the movie where it was just they were doing it for pleasure, <laughs> which is literally what they say in the movie. They're like, lions don't do this. Lions, they are doing this for pleasure. Well, they're assuming they're doing it for pleasure because lions don't do this, but there's no facts, factual proof that they're doing it for pleasure. They, well, there's just an assumption. Be. Exactly. I mean, there's... We're probably never going to know 100% why yeah, they I were mean, doing lions it. lions don't talk. They can't tell us why they did it. So I just wanted to get your opinion on why they did it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It might have been, like, a bit of both, almost. Like, they had to eat us at one point, and then they were just like... It was kind of fun? Yeah. They're a little bit more fun to hunt than uh, an animal who's going to, you know, hurt us. Or run really fast. These humans are rather slow, easy prey, easy, just interesting. Very. It's also interesting because male lions don't tend to hunt. No. It's usually the females of the pride. Which is also why I thought they were female. Correct. (laughs) And even when the males hunt, it's very rare that they hunt together because male lions don't exactly coexist in a pride. Usually it's one at the top bunch of females and then maybe some males way down at the bottom of that chain in the pride but no two alpha lions who would go out and actively hunt together so i don't know if there was some like brain issues in these lions some handicaps that messed them up and they just created a whole new breed of maybe they were twins They're siblings, and they just had always been together, and so they always had to fight together. Maybe without a parent or a pride. So they were they were the only ones because, I mean, they kill one female lion at the beginning of the film. Maybe that was the female lion part of their group, and now they go nuts. They go nuts, and that's why (laughs) they attack more because they weren't attacking a lot at the beginning, and then they attacked a lot of people in a short amount of time. During the day, during night, before the, that moment in the movie where we get this daytime attack and everybody freaks out because you're supposed to be safe during the day. They had only come at night and they had picked off like one here, one there. Uh, two weeks later, they'll take another one. And then after they kill that female lion at the beginning of the film, 
we're getting a quick nighttime one where they decimate the biggest guy at the camp. And then we're getting a daytime attack where they murder a whole bunch of people. Then we get a m massive massacre at the hospital where they take out 25, 30 people in one night. And clearly, they're not eating all of them. No. Some of that's just murder. So, you know, this movie kind of hints maybe they killed their sister or killed one of the the wives of one of those lions, and it's a revenge thing almost. I know the movie doesn't touch upon it, but it's there. Yeah, but in the movie, they kill that first lion, and then it's like seven weeks later until we get the next lion attack. Well, yeah, they had to wait to find out if the lioness was coming back or not. I guess. You know, she could have got caught up, she could be hurt, they had to find her. And then once, you know, he gets the claws on a necklace, the lions are like, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so, just interesting. One thing that I want to bring up is there the, the screenplay and the use of humor throughout the movie. Because this is a very serious movie, having to deal with so many deaths of these very dangerous lions. But they actually play humor very well, and it's very natural the way it comes about. I wanted to hear what you had to think of that. So I think the screenplay is one of the better screenplays. Everything flows really natural. You know, I didn't exist in the late 1800s, obviously, so I don't know how they talked. But this seems pretty period accurate. They don't use any weird slang terms. They don't. And the jokes don't come across as in like, ha gotcha, man. Yep. <laughs> Your mother is so... It's not those kind of jokes. It's very much situational and very dry wit. Yeah, just like as if you're being satirical with someone. Correct. So I think the screenplay worked really well. We already talked about the pacing of the screenplay, but I think the story arcs for a lot of the characters worked well as well. And it's just good writing. Yeah. There's nothing great about it. There's nothing that stands out. I mean, at the beginning of each episode, we're always looking for like that one standout quote from the movie that it makes it recognizable that we can put at the beginning so people get amped up for what we're about to talk about. This movie doesn't really have one. There's no like exact moment where I'm like, that's the line. Yeah. That's such a good line. Oh my God. But there's nothing that makes me cringe either that makes me recoil and go, oh, I can't believe they just said that. It's all Which happens a lot in movies. Neutral. <laughs> And that, I think, is what makes it work, because then it felt more like watching a documentary or watching actual events. I was going to say, it adds an air of, like, honesty to it, an air of, like, realism to this thing that people would actually talk like this. Yeah, you're not getting somebody saying, oh, the lions are coming for us, and then it gets undercut with a witty joke because somebody saw something that was funny. Yeah. Because that's not what happens in real life. Sure, every now and then you might get something like that. But mostly when, when bad things are happening, you're going to have some serious conversations. Then yeah. when you think you're over that bad thing, you're going to get a little joyous. And that's what we get in this movie, in this screenplay, is everybody's pretty serious. Not deathbed, oh my god, the whole world's ending kind of serious. But you can have that air of seriousness. But then when they think they've won, they get a little more lighthearted. They get a little mm -hmm. more joyous. And then everything crashes down again, but instead of wallowing in despair in the way they speak, they go back to that serious tone of like, okay, we thought we won. We didn't. Now we got to get back to it. And I really appreciate that. I do too. It, there's nothing worse than a film that either tries to take itself too seriously or not seriously enough, and I thought this had a nice balance. There's a scene in the movie where it's really clever. The screenplay is really clever, and I'm sure it came directly from the book, and it probably came directly from real life. But they try to trap the lion, and it's one of my favorite scenes. Three men are in a train boxcar, and they build a little tripwire that, as soon as it goes down, huge rail bars are going to fall to basically create a cage. And they're going to trap this lion, and then they're going to shoot it dead. And three men are in there, loading and reloading and reloading and reloading and shooting and shooting and shooting and they never hit this lion as the lion's just breaking these bars down and and then it runs away because it broke it enough it that broke it enough that it was like all right we're done and then a fire started so the lion takes off and that scene cracks me up every time because i'm like you are three men with rifles about 15 feet from this lion 
sure, there's some bars in the way, but hit the lion. Yeah, stop hitting the bars. But the fun part is, fun fact number four, that is actually tra- based on a true event that where they trapped a lion in a boxcar and ten men who admittedly probably have never really shot rifles before opened fire on the lion and not a single hit. <laughs> that is from Patterson's own records of what happened and how pissed he was because not a single hit of this lion so they could trace it back to its cave or trace it somewhere. Ten men. So in the movie, you think it's unbelievable because it's three men. In real life, it was ten men that had never used a rifle before but couldn't even get a single hit on the lion. But the way the movie portrays it seems real as well. These men are panicking, and that's just good writing. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they show it off a little bit like to make it that same level of almost ridiculousness by showing them actually being able to shoot like really well. Uh, pinpoint accuracy, and then you get into that moment. Oh, we get one moment of pinpoint accuracy. That could have been luck. That could have been a fluke in that moment, and he just thought they were ready. Sure. I mean, they also tried to sell themselves as ready. But <laughs> it's also showing that scene of panic of like, oh yeah, we're sur- super cool. We're super confident. That theme again. And then when time came... Vulnerability they- hit because the lion's a lot more terrifying than they expected it to be. Exactly. So they kind of tried to play that scene to to play off the idea that it was ten men, but it's actually three, but are supposed to be better at it than the ten men were. So they tried to, I see, keep it somewhat. Somewhat within the realm of believability and possibility. Because shooting a lion from, you know, 20 yards is a lot different than shooting a lion in your face. Yeah. It should be easier, but when that fear takes over, oh boy. Oh yeah, you're shaking like a leaf. You're not even looking, you're just blindly firing at it, and that's what's going to happen. And it seems like, oh, you know, the way we're describing it, that's a joke scene. Like, oh, we're going to laugh, we're going to... No, you're on the edge of your seat, like, oh my god, that lion's going to break this cage down, and it's going to rip those three to shreds, and they couldn't even hit it one time, and what the heck is actually happening? I honestly have that thought. The yeah. entire time that scene was happening, because he's breaking down the bars to get to the people. Yeah, so just a wonderful screenplay that just kind of added into what you wanted to talk about there. So, I have a quote that I would like to read to you from the director of the film, Stephen Hopkins. And then I want your feedback on this, and how it may change your views of this film. Okay. Director Stephen Hopkins said about filming... Quote, we had snake bites, scorpion bites, tick bite fever, people getting hit by lightning, floods, torrential rains and lightning storms, hippos chasing people through the water, cars getting swept into the water, and several deaths of crew members, including two drownings. What do you think of that? Maybe they should not have made this film. Africa was like, nope, mm -mm. you're just trying to paint us in a bad light. No, we're not having this. See, for me, I feel that more as in, that's still the Curse of the Lions. Where it's like, no. The ghost we of- don't want stuff happening here. The ghosts came back in the darkness and were like, absolutely not. It may not have worked with lions, but we'll try every other tactic we have in our book. Isn't that just crazy, though? Like, this whole story started with weird lions acting unlike lions are supposed to act and killing a bunch of men and then they go to try to make a film about this story and it's such a tough shoot where things that aren't supposed to happen are just happening why (laughs) it seems like this story and this whole idea is just cursed yeah, it's, maybe it just definitely don't sounds touch like it. it. Maybe that's why they don't want to remaster it, why they don't want to make it celebrated. <laughs> They're like, let's not open that Pandora's box of stuff. Yeah, which just, is just leave so that area crazy. alone. We're done. We learned our lesson. But to finish the director's quote, where this will relate back to Mr. Kilmer and how much we liked his presence in the movie, quote, Val came to set under the worst conditions imaginable. He was completely exhausted from doing The Island of Dr. Moreau, also released in 1996. He was dealing with the unfavorable publicity from that set. 
He was going through a divorce. He barely had time to get his teeth into the role before we started filming. And he is in nearly every scene of this movie. And I worked him for six or seven days a week for four months under really adverse conditions. And he really came through. He had a passion for this film. Do you think that's why this film even remotely worked? Because your leading man who's so charismatic has this undying passion for it that he will push through all of that stuff that I just read and put in one hell of a performance. And he kind of made everybody else probably come up to his level because of it. Oh, no doubt. Like, you really have to love this project to be going through not only your personal stuff, but the crap that's on the set. Like, holy cow. And to still pull out a performance like that, this is a performance that I remember. I remember performances like Val Kilmer at Top Gun as Iceman. Fantastic. Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday in Tombstone. Fantastic. Val Kilmer as John Henry Patterson. Fantastic. Those are the roles I think of. Sure, you get Batman in there as well, but he was okay in that. Yeah. It's just memorable more because it was Batman, not because it was Val Kilmer. But when I think of Val Kilmer, those are the roles that kind of come to mind. And to think that he did it in all those conditions, and I'm sure he probably got in everybody's face and was like, if I'm here, you're here. Let's do this. Let's make this the best we can. Yeah, it sucks, everything that's happening, but let's go. Yeah, without him, you don't have... This film is nothing. I, I don't think any of the other actors really hold the movie up. I think it's a, based entirely around Kilmer's performance and what he brings out of a lot of people. But with that said, one thing... I want to go into some negative stuff now. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is I don't think Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas really worked that well together. They didn't have great chemistry. I didn't feel them working with each other and playing off each other. It felt more like there was a wall between them. They said their lines, pause, the other person then said their line. They weren't really feeding each other. Do you feel that way? I didn't get that as much as you did. I honestly thought it was more written into the script that they were trying to be guarded. Once again, that whole idea of portraying confidence but also being vulnerable on the inside. I honestly thought it was more that than their chemistry being off. I thought it was supposed to be a bit of that nuance in their performance. I could see that, but even if it was, it was overdone. It was overly dramatic between them. It was overly long pauses and... It almost seemed like a one-upsmanship. And I know maybe the characters were supposed to be doing that, but it didn't play right to me. It just felt like two actors who were reading different scripts going out there and trying to play nice together. I think Val Kilmer worked well with a lot of the other actors, a lot of the bit players. But when it came to Michael Douglas, I don't know if Kilmer was pissed in real life that he got second billing to a guy who was only in half the movie and a producer... Oh, I don't know if his personal stuff and Michael Douglas maybe said... I don't know what happened. But I don't feel that their chemistry really works at all in the movie. I can see how you would think that way. Uh, it didn't play that way to me. That's fair. Yeah. You just feel like it was part of their characters. Yes. It was meant to be. Yeah. I understand that. One of the other big problems I have in this is... And again, it's, we get the hero telling his own story, which never works out well. This is also that white hero complex for me, where it's bringing the outside white guy to this foreign land, and he will save the day. He can do anything. In fact, even Abdullah and him have a back and forth with that, where Patterson's character says... Uh, we will get the bridge built, I will kill the lions, I will... And he says, of course you can. You're white, you can do anything. <laughs> and it's just... That's such a hard thing for me, because no one else... Even though these men are the ones who live there, they work there, they know this area, they know... He never really uses them to their full power. He never takes advantage of their knowledge all that much. It's just like... I'll do it by myself because I'm the hero. And that bothers me to no end. 
Yeah, you would honestly think that at least some of these guys would be a bit more like, yeah, I've been, had to deal with lions before. Like, right, like we can do this. I've hid from lions in this way. I've trapped lions in this way. The one guy who's like, I've killed a lion with my bare hands. We never ask him how. We never get any more information other than he did it. Probably because he was the first one to die. Probably, but I mean, why didn't we just ask him in that moment? Why did we need to? The other lion was already dead. Well, they didn't know there was more Yeah, lions. but still, that's such an interesting story, and who knows, it could come in handy. Just because you killed the one lion doesn't mean there's not other threats out there. But there's not something else yeah. coming. I mean, they do use at least some of the natives' help. I mean, it doesn't end up doing anything for them, but, I mean, it gives them the best shot of killing them that Val actually ruins by not. Um, the, when... When Remington comes in, he actually brings a whole tribe with him of natives of the land so that they can help track... Maasai warriors. Maasai warriors. Okay, I did, I did not remember their names. I'm Maasai, glad did. Maasai warriors who are actually played by real Maasai warriors. Oh. They tried to keep it as native as possible. So those are real Maasai warriors who come in to help fight the lions. That is but, actually really neat. Yeah, go ahead, continue. <laughs> anyway... Uh, so they do try to trap the lions, or the lion at the one point, by having Remington and the natives go on one side, kind of go, uh, push it to want to where Patterson is, so that Patterson can kill it. They use them really well, except for when it doesn't work, and then they're just like, well, it's a ghost in the darkness, um... We're out. Peace. Yeah. Good job. Good luck, white guys. And the white guys are like, no worries. We got this. Yeah. So, like, they it, it's like they wanted to do something there. They, they just didn't know how. Yeah. And then they were just like, eh, we need to make it all about our main characters anyway. So. And I, I think it would have worked if you give Patterson the actual kills, but you use his, use the knowledge of the locals to get him those kills. Like you said, they do try it one time. Just because it failed that once doesn't mean we can't try it again. Yeah. Or try a different tactic that they might know. They probably know about 50 ways to trap and kill a lion. Yeah. And we try one, and then it's like, nope, white guys just handle it because you're white. Yeah. It's just a really big, glaring issue of no white man can do wrong in this movie. Even Remington is celebrated as a hero, although he is such a flawed person. Except for the fact that uh, they actually lose faith in Patterson. Like, they think he's he is what is bringing this evil down upon them. So it's that idea of, like, is he the savior? Is he the... Well, in his own mind, he's the, the savior. Oh, of course he is. In everyone's own mind, he's the savior. He, I don't think he really even comes across as the villain to a lot of the locals. They more or less just want him to go away so they can do the work. He can come in and expect, inspect it and be like, okay, we're done, go. It's not like they're blaming him per se. They're they just saying nothing really was happening until you came. Maybe just go away for a little bit and then come back and we'll be fine. Well, I and this might just have been me. I thought they were kind of blaming him. And when he couldn't deliver, they lost faith in him very, very quickly. And that kind of goes back to that theme of... Of you over... Selling yourself yes. and people, ha you know, having to oversell yourself to keep people's belief in you. So, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. I just... When you're in Africa and you have a lot of locals there and the one person that succeeds and becomes the hero is the white guy. And I know it's based on a true story. He actually is the one who killed the lions in, in real life. I bet he definitely used more local tactics he didn't just sit in a tree and go oh look a lion bow 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 yeah you know he probably used the people around him used the land around him used some of the local knowledge to help him and i wish the movie explored that more because i feel like that's a more interesting movie yeah than just show up with a rifle kill lion oh yeah i mean they tried many different tactics but they were all his tactics Mm -hmm. Only one time did they ever use a tactic that was not his. Yeah. And then another thing that bothered me is just when they find their den, 
when they find the cave and it's all the remains because that's where they keep dragging their victims back to. How did that scene not play out differently? How was there not an attack and not a whole fight? And how did they survive? How did they go in to the villain's lair and somehow walk away completely untouched, unspooked, and like nothing happened? Well, I mean, they were definitely spooked. <laughs> but nothing happened. Yeah, they're spooked because, ooh, it's a thing full of bones. But they weren't spooked because of anything else. It wasn't like they saw a shadow and were like, oh my god, the lions are here. Nothing happened. This is the den of the ghosts in the darkness. And what do you do with it? Nothing. You just do it because it's an interesting thing. Because two lions have a den full of human bones. What a visual cinematic to make craziest thing that cave was only found after the lions were killed in real life because nobody was going to go looking for it because that's dangerous as hell yeah why would you go do that well because they probably thought they could find the lions in there and just kill them yeah that's not how that works you're not walking into the lion's home and being like oh hey boom boom you're both dead i mean no. that's what the lions were doing to them <laughs> the lions are smarter no. Uh, <laughs> As we saw throughout the entire movie. They attack during the night. So, it just it's a scene that doesn't play well for me, especially once you know the, the true story that nobody found the cave until after the lions because nobody's stupid enough to go looking for it. And then the cave was actually lost for years, for like 100 years, and wasn't rediscovered until the early 90s where they could actually take photographs of it and imagine what it had looked like based on Patterson's recollection in his book and then the way the cave was laid out so that they could make it for the movie. So I just think that's interesting. Nobody even looked for this cave for a hundred years because of the bad mojo surrounding it. Yeah. But these dudes just walk into it like it's no problem. Yeah, I mean, they did it for the cin cinematicness, you know? They did, but that's a scene in this script where rip it up. Rip it out, rip it up. What purpose did it serve? Other than... Oh my god, they've killed so many... We already know they've killed so many people. We don't need to see it. Yeah. Less is more, and this scene added nothing to the film, and it really is, for me, a distraction. It takes me out of the tension they've been building up to this climactic finale that we're working towards to just be like, daytime, we walked into their cave, nothing happened, we're invincible. Yeah, it seemed like the only reason they did show that was the idea that this is a lot worse than we thought it was and they're doing this for fun. Like, you could have gotten that same thought from the massacre. Yeah, I mean, they literally massacre an entire hospital. And like I said earlier, there's no way they ate all of them. They killed them just to kill them. Right there tells us everything we need to know. We don't learn anything from visiting the cave. We don't even learn the idea of maybe they're doing it for fun. There's a bunch of bones. They could have been killing people forever. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was just the the line comes then of they're doing oh, this for fun, understandable, lines don't do this. But I don't know how he came to that conclusion by just looking at their cave. Yeah. If anything, like we said, he should have come with that conclusion when they massacred the whole hospital. Yeah, it's more so, it looks like these people were all actually eaten. The, the hospital, they're not eaten. Right, so. or even right before they attacked the hospital, because... Remington and Patterson are in a different building all locked in, but they're trying to draw the lions to them. And the lion's up on the roof, toying with them, making noises so they'll shoot in that direction and then jumping down. And he, one lion's messing with them there while the other lion is starting to go into the hospital. Clearly, they're just having fun. We don't need the cave. And it's just such a scene that is so jarringly different from the rest of the film that it doesn't need to exist. That's fair. One of the other things that doesn't work for me in this film is the lack of consistency with what theme or motif they were kind of going for. Because as we've already discussed, <clears throat> they lean heavily into the overselling of yourself, the, the confidence yet vulnerability inside. And I think that's such an interesting theme to explore that they kind of ruin it for me. And you'll have to tell me your thoughts. But they lean really heavy into what superstitions can do to people. And they try to play that as well. 
And that's where the movie loses focus for me, where it's like, do you want people to be confident yet vulnerable, or do you want people to believe in superstitions? You can't have it both ways. Let's focus on one and nail it and hammer it home and make it the best it can be. But as soon as you start bringing in, oh, he can't finish the train because superstitions and... What? Talk to me about the superstitious aspect of this film. See, I actually thought the superstition added to it. Added to that same theme of having to be overconfident. Because no matter how confident you portray yourself to be, if there are superstitions, if there is something without your control that happens, people are still going to lose faith in you. So I thought it added to it rather than taking it away. I just, once again, it's a lot like the cave scene for me. It's unnecessary and distracting, at least for my watch. Just gets distracting. I don't need that. I would rather you pick one theme and focus everything on that and not try to add in these extra things because there's another theme that they try to touch upon too and it's the idea of control and we touched upon it a little bit earlier but I want to go in depth to it is just when you think you have control it's ripped away from you and you have to find a way to get it back from the other person and it's like a ping pong game controls over here but like a four person ping pong game yeah Patterson has control, then the Lions have control, then Remington has control, then the Lions, then Patterson, then the tr- the the guy who hired Patterson comes into town and it's like, nope, he has control again. And the control bounces around a little too much for me, where if it would have just been a battle between Patterson and the Lions of control, Patterson thinks he's winning. Nope, just kidding, the Lions are winning. It would have worked. But adding in Remington's control and then outside control as well gets really muddled for me. You're going to disagree, aren't you? Yes, I'm going to disagree. I think it's adding to that. It's all melding together into one massive theme there of, you know, the idea of your confidence, making it so that you can have that control losing control because of outside sources such as superstition and then having to overcome that to gain that control back. I honestly thought it was a decent medley between the three rather than them competing. I thought they added to each other rather than taking from each other. I I can see that. I can see you thinking that for me, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as a competition for control that hurt any relationships and it hurt the overall narrative of the film because we had that third major control aspect in Remington yeah we also had smaller control aspects as well but if it would have been focused entirely on Patterson's loss of control to the Lions it would have worked better I could see that you know the workers all quit because of the lions, meaning the lions have control. Patterson can't finish because the lions have control. Patterson shoots a lion. Oh, nope, he's got control back. We're on the way. Patterson comes up with a, a trap to kill these lions. He's got control back. They trapped the lion. Yeah, they don't kill it, but they trapped it, so he felt like he had control. But now all of a sudden, Remington comes in, and he's like, we're going to do it my way. Why? We, why do you have control all of a sudden? Because he had the confidence. Sure. <laughs> but it's just too much of a ping pong game with too many players. Ping pong games are played with two players. Yeah. This was a ping pong game with three major players and a few side players. Who has the ball and why? I can I can understand. So it just that. felt unfocused to me. Yeah. I I might have been reading too far into it with it all melding together, but And you're supposed to, probably. Yeah. I didn't see it that way, but it's good that you saw it that way because it shows you that not everybody's going to see this movie the exact same way. You're going to have that different opinion. So, you know, it's one of the things I always talk about is critics aren't always right. We're not even always right on this. We might say something holds up and you watch it and you're like, holy crap, that was garbage, which is a-okay. The whole point is discussion and discourse. Critics aren't right. If they say this movie's an 89%, it doesn't mean you need to like it. If they say this movie's a 25%, it doesn't mean you need to hate it. I love that you see this in such a different way because it's going to change your opinion on if you want to watch this movie or not. Yeah. 
So, it's great. But I just really felt like those were big, glaring problems for me. What about you? What what problems did you see in this movie that you just were right in your face? We've kind of already talked about mine. My Honestly, my biggest problems were just the inconsistency in Belle's uh, accent. I just it, it bugged me the entire movie. And then just that quick cut of where I can't actually tell what's going on. Okay, Which, so a lot of the editing and a little bit of performance were your big issues. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for our thoughts on the movie. So go into your final on if the movie holds up or not. I'm going to say, having watched it the first time today, that it holds up. I got one hell of a, a fun time watching this movie. I got all the feels. I saw so, like good performances all over the place, interesting themes, very visually and um, auditorily stunning. I, I thought it was a fun time. Now, is it a perfect movie? No. No, nothing's perfect. No. It, is it like the most perfect where it can hold up the 100%? I'm going to say no. Is it going to hold up like 80%? Yeah. What about you? So for me, I'm going to swing a little bit different here. Okay. I think there's only one aspect of this film that actually holds up, and it's the lions themselves. Using actual lions, a lot of those scenes are still terrifying to watch and still look really good. I don't think the rest of the movie holds up. And I'm a fan of this movie. I will probably watch this movie again just because I'm a big fan of the story, but the movie itself does not hold up for me. What's your most glaring issue? What what makes you say it that way? It's the lack of focus in the film. It's Remington's a made-up character. Get rid of him. Have the chess mass chess match be between Patterson and the Lions and have a more focused story without all this other stuff. Why does the owner of the railway who's paying for the job to get done show up? Sure, the the job's not going as well as he wants it to but patterson could easily write him a letter and go dude lions are killing people what's up (laughs) as soon as we fix it we'll get back on track like yeah relax remington showing up he doesn't need to patterson seems like a smart guy he could probably figure some stuff on his own especially if he gets help from the local people (laughs) so there's just a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of unfocused narration and so it just doesn't hold up for me I think the lions still look amazing, and Val Kilmer's acting is great. I think Michael Douglas overplays his part, and I think the characters don't mesh well. So, that's a no from me, guys. That's a doesn't hold up. It does not hold up. Do you have a certain percentage on that, or I don't. It just doesn't hold up. That's fair. If you if you've never seen the movie, and you want to watch it, feel free to. You might have a good time. I definitely did. But for me, I no. If you've seen it once, you you're done. That's fair. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that's our thoughts on The Ghost in the Darkness. Come check us out on Twitter at DoesItHoldUp13. Let us know if you think this movie holds up. You can also come follow us on TikTok at Does underscore It underscore Hold underscore Up. I know it's a long handle, but it's the only one that was available with those words. We dropped some fun facts over there. Box office knowledge, ratings knowledge, how it did... And just some other good things about, like, the actors and stuff. Come follow us over there for some more information. In the meantime, keep watching movies. Bye.